0: heavy track today
1: yeah not vibing risky lettuce getting sinker vibes
0: i don't know says on the tab app she's firming don't just vibe it get expert tips in tab's new race feed tab
1: we're on what are you really gambling with uh time now to have a chat to maddie kane who's the boss of the mrc who joins us and uh i was lucky enough to uh, see Equinox, along with Matty Kane, uh, who was over there in Japan, trying to recruit some more international runners for the MRC. And uh, Matty, as I say, good morning to you. What a what a phenomenal couple of international um, spectacles we've seen off the back of Japan, the Hong Kong day yesterday. Did you have your eyes on any horses you'd might like to try and woo out to with the MRC carnival? Oh, good
2: morning, Matt. Good morning, gentlemen. What a um, what a fantastic. Uh race many was last night, and, uh, and to cap off the uh, the International Japan Cup the week before, it just shows how um, how big racing internationally is becoming, to, and to see the French succeed and, um, you know, the competitive of the Japanese, but the Hong Kong locals to uh, to dominate last night, it was just a fantastic spectacle. I think that's where we all want to see racing going, is the, the complete internationalisation uh, across the various countries and through the seasons, and you can see the best horses compete against each other.
0: Well, that's, yeah, when we, we've been talking about this in the last few weeks about whether we can you know, be realistic about our international sort of flow of horses and whether there should be a a regional focus between maybe a bit of Japan and Hong Kong and Australia. It'd be good to see Golden 60 once here. It'd be good for them to see Imperatriz or something. Do you think within this region, Maddie, that that's a dialogue that it can can at least happen? I know there's quarantine issues and so on, but off the back of Romantic Warriors Cox played and... The Japanese winning the Golden Eagle is now the time to try and get all these jurisdictions focused on a a more easy flow of horses or more regular flow.
2: Yeah, absolutely, mate. I, I think the, the the Asian region, the opportunity that presents ourselves with time zone, wagering particularly with the introduction of the whirlpool, uh, if we could solve the, the quarantine restrictions in Australia of the in and out of international horses and have those horses be able to travel more efficiently and effectively, um, we could have an incredibly um, interesting race card over both the spring and the autumn and um, bring all those beautiful horses together. And if you could align that with uh, corporate sponsorship potential bonuses and the like. I think it's got to be a real uh, forefront for discussion at the Asian Racing Conference next year.
1: How difficult is it to try and get that quarantine situation sorted?
2: I think the issue for the industry is we are are dealing with federal government uh, on this issue and it's it's a quarantine um, consideration in light of Australia being an island and and all the other issues that we have associated with animals and uh, the transfer of animals. But I, I think... The processes seem to work so well between Europe, Europe, US, and Asia. Uh, you hope that um, you know with the right, right sort of medical veterinary advice and the quarantine procedures that we could reduce that time frame that horses need to quarantine, and we could all uh, you know have that collective opportunity to travel our horses.
1: Matty, what was your first thought when you read the headlines about a potential sale of Rose Hill?
2: Well, I think like most of the industry, it was um, it was obviously a well kept uh, well kept secret. Um, Deservingly so, given it's a conversation between the ATC and the government. But, uh, I mean, my first thoughts is I, I applaud the ATC for exploring options to, to future proof for the race, racing industry. I think we're um, we're not immune to the, all the competitive challenges uh, that racing have um, from external sources, and I think we need to, you know, explore those options. So for ATC to, to undertake this exercise, um, obviously Sydney is a, an evolving, growing city, uh, and for racing it'll be sitting sort of in that absolute precinct of the west it is a transport and uh, and a housing corridor. It makes sense for them to explore those options. But uh, as you know, these things take a lot of time and there's a, a huge amount of work involved as we've obviously undertaken through our, our developers in Caulfield and our progression to look at Sandown as a rezoning
1: option. Well, you can speak better uh, than anyone on this because of all of that grant work that you've done in regards to Sandown. The, the $5 billion figure has raised a few eyebrows. Have you... Um, had any of your people look at that and, and compare what the value of that $5 billion is to what's the rough value of the Sandown sale, like $500 million?
2: Look, we haven't analysed the, the Sydney project. I mean, it's very different. Um, the, the underground tunnels, 25,000 houses, uh, you know, that is a huge development opportunity and we probably don't profess to be property analysts in Sydney to, to be able to form a view, but I'm sure over the course of the time, those, um, those numbers will be disclosed by the ATC. Um, that's an exciting number. Um, for us at the moment, you know, we've got, you know, a, a value of sand out sort at of circa $465 million on our on our balance sheet without a rezoning, and, you know, we're taking a prudent exercise to see what the rezoning value of, of the sand down footprint looks like, and, uh, you know, it will certainly be a material number north of that. Um, I can't see it being to the same extent of, of the ATC's interpretation of theirs, but very different footprints and very different um, commercial exercise, I suggest.
3: Hey, Matt, racetracks are, generally speaking, pretty big areas of land, and we've got a situation in australia at the moment with a housing crisis there's obvious links to be made or potential opportunity to be had by perhaps rationalizing race tracks maybe in regional areas as well as what what's been discussed with rose hill and potentially sandown do you think that's something that the industry needs to explore more broadly that 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 there are opportunities not only with sandown and rose hill but maybe other tracks in other other parts of the state and other parts of the country that can be realised?
2: Sharky, I certainly think we need to. Um, you know, other sporting codes like the AFL, rugby and, and the like have certainly consolidated, you know, football grounds to, to multi-club venues and, and perhaps we need to start to explore the cost of infrastructure, the cost of mate, maintaining racetracks. They are incredibly expensive tracks to, and um, and infrastructure Pieces to maintain and, and, and keep up to the standard that we need to ensure that the safety of the horses and the competitiveness of the tracks maintains and the credibility of the wagering is sustainable. So I think it's really important that the clubs and, and RBL, which I know we're working on a, a full... Victorian infrastructure plan to optimize what is the, the, the best number of races best number of race tracks and how we absolutely optimize our, our wagering uh, because we've we're sort of a product of our own success now we've, we've got um, you know amazing wagering options online we have so much um, vision now able to be uh, attained from home and also on our mobile phones that the good old days of attending the racetrack to, to one set horses and have a bet has very much changed so I think we need to think about our infrastructure as well.
0: Matt I know you've got a meeting committee I think on Thursday to discuss a myriad of things my understanding is one of those things is uh, the affordability of the full-scale project of the Caulfield Grandstand and it was interesting that when we were discussing that the other day on on air that the, a story came out on racing.com about an independent review regarding the 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 two options now the partial uh, sale of Sandown according to this report by Paul Tatnell uh, is off the table it's not an option it doesn't it doesn't recoup enough money so it's either race on or sell the whole lot if is this. Is this been borne about by the fact that the Caulfield project is at a cost level now where, the, unless the members start being charged 1500 bucks a year for membership and so on, that the full sale of Sandown is the only real solution, other than the club going to massive debt, to actually pay for Caulfield? Is that, is that the reality we're now looking at? Look,
2: I think the Caulfield Master Plan, of which we're through, you know, some exciting infrastructure stages with our pre-parade stables and and new mounting yard, um, is very much in line with our budget. Um, The next phase of that is the relocation of the admin building. We've obviously built the second track and we're obviously looking at improving the facilities of the grandstand and and the most efficient use and, and, and service to our members would be to build a new grandstand. Uh, and we've got to explore all the options available to fund that. Um, and, and part of that process is is the rezoning of, of Sandown, which is still, you know, a 2025 um, likely rezoning decision away. We're still awaiting sort of state planning minister authorisation for the rezoning to go to council. Um, and then that'll go to public display early in the new year for rezoning in 25. So as we said to members, we're exploring the option of rezoning uh, the value of Sandown. Uh, that could include the, the sale of part or, or hold whole this, this, um, just I on this story,
0: though, about. that Paul Tatnell wrote, Matt, sorry to interrupt, Yeah, he's basically saying his mail is, and I don't know whether is his mail right or wrong, that partial redevelopment is not seen by the MRC as a viable outcome.
2: Oh, the MRC committee haven't made that determination. We've merely executed some independent research and data and some reports on what the alternatives for a partial sale may look like um, and a partial sale sort of has you know residential commercial community um, type uses such as healthcare, education and the like and and they all have sort of material different commercial realities of how a, a rezoning of Sandown would look like um, and we've got to weigh those up as to what makes the most sense for us and our members um, but partial would obviously be materially less than a full um, and obviously doing nothing if we didn't get the rezoning into the alternative option as well. So we're just looking at all the other options at the moment and we'll sort of make the right decision. But we've also got other assets that we could utilise to fund the grandstand, such as our Coolfield Western Precinct project, our gaming venues um, that we have, Freehold Land, um, sitting on some of their operations. So we're, we'll just explore all the options and, and assess what we, uh, we need to do. We've also got ANZ supporting us with debt and we can fund, you know, we can fund our, our current operations and our current master plan with debt.
0: Which you really wouldn't want to do, but... Um, uh, so, if you do retain Sandown... I mean, I remember there was a story a few months ago where you were quoted and others were quoted... Um, uh, what's his name? The the, the the twitter handle guy from Caulfield as well, about um, if we do not sell Sandown, if we do not recoup money from Sandown, then things will happen which will be a disadvantage to our members, such as exploding membership fees and so on. What would be the... Just to reiterate, if you keep racing at Sandown and do nothing, and this story says you've only got that option or to sell it, what would it mean for your members? What, what, how onerous would that be for the MRC?
2: Well, I guess at the moment, Sandown loses us money as a, as a racetrack, so it does circle 3 to $4 million, um, and, and we don't have a capacity to recoup that through industry funding. Um, So it is a a loss-making racing business for us, as is Mornington, as is Caulfield. So at the moment, we subsidise our our racing product for our members through our our diversified income streams through gaming, Um, but that's not sustainable. We need to to either sell some assets to, to offset that, Um, or we need to to look at increasing either the cost of going to the races or attending the races or, um, you know, a further discussion on on where club funding and prize money sits on a racing product that doesn't make money. So I think there's a bigger question there as to to what is the optimum um, racing product that actually allows clubs to make money and also service their members. Um, At the moment, we've got the luxury of selling some assets or utilising the value of our assets, um, but the reality is that we can't sustain a loss ongoing. Um, So something needs to give.
1: And I would imagine that that's not just an MRC situation, that would be a similar scenario at other metropolitan race clubs, probably country race clubs. And I know Michael Brow was quoted recently as saying that the whole racing ecosystem needs to be looked at and the future could be a lot different to what it is. Now, we were talking about, you know, regional rationalisation of racetracks. Maddie. what's your your view as the chairman of the MRC and someone who's been around racing for a long time about that continued sustainability with the current model, or does it need to be changed radically? Does it need to shrink? Does the industry need to shrink somehow? Mm. It
2: needs to be optimised. I think that it needs to... We need to optimise the efficiency of, of racetracks to be to be able to provide races to, um, to, to participants and also generate wagering. Um, there is certainly a slowdown in, in the wagering peaks that we had during COVID, and those, those trends are are heading negatively, um, whether that's economic-based um, alternative wagering options in sport, taking some money away from racing, and, you know, we need to take that into consideration. But I think we need to, to look at the efficiency of the model, um, you know, we've got very sustained prize money levels at the moment that are high that need to be paid for through wagering. If wagering's cut back, maybe there needs to just be a reconsideration of the overall prize money footprint or the amount of racing we actually conduct in a loss-making environment, maybe we need to to rationalise that so that we do have, you know, productive, uh, financially viable wagering-generated racing as opposed to loss-making.
3: It's a great point you make about the amount of racing we actually conduct and it's been spoken about, you know, race-free days and everything else, but I think that's been more from a participant welfare point of view rather than potentially if we go for a quality-over-quantity approach, does that actually increase wagering?
2: Absolutely. I think that's what we're going to be looking at. What's the, the benefit of the, the wagering on the two or 3 midweek days or well, where we've got multiple race meetings on on a weekend? Uh, what that, what's the increment of benefit versus maybe just having a, a consolidated approach where the focus is on one particular race meeting and that, that wagering is um, that increased materially just through the focus of that. Um, we've got incredibly great racing coverage through racing.com and, and the uh, free-to-air commercial partners and, and maybe exploring how that gets better utilised to, to generate the increased wagering dollar is the, the focus of the industry.
0: Just one final one for me, just to round back to the, the original thing. Uh, is your gut feeling, I know you can go into debt and charge members 1,500 or whatever, but is your gut feeling that in order to realise the, the complete dream of the Caulfield Precinct, is your gut feeling that Sandown will have to be sold to facilitate it?
2: I think the option of rezoning Sandown and exploring the value that that creates for the members of the Melbourne Racing Club and Future Precinct in the club um, is a really important one. And, um, you know, selling Sandow would lead to the the club having all the facilities available to um, house 45 race meetings at Caulfield with a new grandstand and no debt. Um, You know, that is a really strong position for a a racing club to be in. Um, The alternative to that is to to carry debt, which is very difficult in an interest rate environment or hold on to assets that are being underutilised. So I think as per golf clubs and other associated sporting clubs, at some point you need to to realise what the real value is, what your members are looking for. And, you know, our members want to race at Caulfield. They love attending Caulfield. If that's their focus um, and they want the best facilities that they can attend at Caulfield, we've got to consider what we sell to fund that.
1: When's the um, uh, the, the likelihood of getting that analysis back, the master plan or um, um, the projection on how much the rezoning could bring?
2: Uh, so we'll do once we get the rezoning in 2025, that will allow us to do a new valuation report on the value of the Sandown land. Um, we can bring that to account on our balance sheet um, in our next financial year when we do that. Um, you know, it will be materially greater than what we have at the moment, and that will then give us the options to explore what that's worth to us and how we make make that amendment. Um, but the materiality of that is huge, and um, it's really important that we continue down this path on behalf of members to get the rezoning. Um, there's no guarantee that will occur, um, and it's certainly going to be another 12 to 18 months mm. before we realise that uh, rezoning process. So, you know, we'll be ready. Right you can stand out and invest in out for the next you know, five plus years. And then once that rezoning comes through, we can explore that option fully and, and consult with our members.
1: Just a couple of quick ones off the SMS from listeners, Matt. Um, the former stable areas at Caulfield, has that been sold?
2: Uh, so that's going through a, a, similar, a, a similar rezoning process. Um, it's probably in the earliest days than Sandown, but that is, again, a material amount of um, value that we can ascribe to the club that would help sort of fund our corporate master plan. So we're very much progressing uh, with haste now that the trainers have moved out and we've uh, finished the completion of the inner tracks. So those stabling areas um, outside of those that are heritage listed will, um, will eventually be rezoned and we'll look to sort of sell those as super lots or... Through some form of development.
1: And the Caulfield Tote Board, is that heritage listed and will it remain?
2: Uh, so the, 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 the Tote Board there, the sad Tote Board that unfortunately we, we have um, been unable to you know, rectify or improve due to the, the lack of um, lights and things that can replace it. Um, it sits there as a, unfortunately an untidy billboard that we can't do much with at the moment. Um, we'd like to explore what we can do with it. It, um, you know, it does have significance to the club but I think there's more important things that surround the club that have more historical significance that we'd like to properly um, uh, do up and, and showcase as part of our master plan in the future. And just
0: an RSN billboard. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, that's, at the moment it's it's a, it's a, it's a billboard as opposed to a, a heritage structure, so I'm not sure that the um, the significance of it's being portrayed uh, the way it uh, should be. So, uh, look, I think we'll uh, we acknowledge the boomerang bar, and the cocktail, and the, the tea house um, rooms, and those kind of things are updating with our new master plan that I think will um, you know really capture what the Caulfield Racecourse has meant to so many people throughout its um, duration.
1: Found something big enough for Matty Scon uh, and RSN on <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to belt you one day. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. I'm going to belt you one day. And I'll be hey, one last, possibly in no, the no, west.
1: Just one last one. Um, when is the first uh, of the new inner track meetings? Have, have we got a finalised date on that?
2: Well, we're getting close. We're getting close, Solgate. Um We are just in the process of um, at the moment. Staying works on our retractable uh, finish post, because obviously we've got the finish post in in the dual positions for the inner and the outer track, so there'll be a permanent finishing post at the back and a retractable. We're hoping that those works will continue through the Christmas-January period and we'll be in a position to race, um, I'd like to hope, just before the All-Star Mile and in the track. Um, and then uh, be having sort of product racing throughout the uh, the later autumn and winter. So really exciting. We've got our first Twilight meeting this Thursday for, uh, for Christmas, by mm. Saturday, Christmas Day. And then, um, yeah, next year, we'll have the Mounting Yard open, the pre-parade ring and the inner track ready to go for our members.
1: Oh, just on that, have MRC um, put their hand up and uh, are confident that you might be able to hold the Cox Plate while the redevelopment occurs at Mooney Valley?
2: Uh, certainly an option. Obviously, we've got a great racetrack there, and... Yeah. Obviously, race uh, probably more than it is being utilised at the moment. So, I guess something for RBL and Mini Valley and uh, MRC to discuss in the future. Um, you know, really exciting times for Mini Valley with their master plan. So, uh, if the club can help, I'm sure we'd be interested in um, in uh, having some of the premier races for a year or two. Good on you, Matt. Thanks, guys.